1959, a party of nine experienced hikers from the Ural Polytechnical Institute who are going for their grade three hikers certificate die under mysterious circumstances in the mountains. To this day, the mystery remains unsolved. Was it an avalanche? Soviet military test? Bigfoot? Was it aliens? It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Locked, Frank Murr, <laughs> and Agent Anderson. <laughs> um, I said it. I said locked. Yeah. <laughs> Conf- confidence, bro. You're the man. All right, you can do it. <laughs> all right, we're gonna try again. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you can you start at the? It's the alien. Con- yeah. 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 It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Locke, and Agent Anderson. Come along for this week's episode, The Dyatlov Pass Incident. But first, it's time for Strange Events, Bizarre Facts, The Unbelievable Revealed. This is the Mind Boggle of the Week. Unusual bodily functions? Did you know that you have a race car in your mouth? It's true. Well, sort of. When you sneeze, you expel air and other less savory things at 100 miles per hour, spewing forth 100,000 icky particles of plague-infested nastiness. This cone of piehole destruction travels 25 feet showing no mercy for anyone in its path. There is no escape. What would it be like to surf this wave in a vehicle shrunken by science? Or to expel other bodily fluids at such speeds? I hope I never find out. And now it's time for the show. First, we have some business to attend to. That's right, you guessed it, we have a new co-host, Agent Locke. And yes, you guessed it, he is also a huge fan of the television show, Lost. Welcome, Agent Locke. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello. You d- I didn't know I was going to introduce myself. Well, there's, well, okay, hello. I, I don't know. God damn it. <laughs> I just thought we were... Okay. Uh, hey... Just so you know, dude, I'm definitely not going to edit that out, all right? Mm-hmm. Just so you know. <laughs> it's recorded now. Second order of business. Until now, we've been doing a non-explicit show, but what ends up happening is we record an explicit show and then edit out all the explicit parts, which are also just so happen to be the good bits. So we're going to try something new. We're going to try doing an explicit version of our show And I have to put this warning in advance for anybody who's listened to us before, because uh, it gets a little, it gets a little overboard sometimes, you know, it's, it's not just a couple of curse words here and there. We really kind of take it too far quite often. So if you're faint of heart or maybe you got some kids around or whatever, just, you know, maybe just uh, listen on headphones or just don't listen at all because we kind of, you know, we do take it too far and probably no sh- nobody should listen to us at all. And we, we will get offensive at some point, I promise. And uh, that's pretty much the business we had to get, to get through, I guess. Any other business you guys can think of? Uh, no. 
Let's get to the DL of pass incident. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> we're we're gonna start off with the uh, the ten hikers that started off on the expedition, and their names were Igor Ala. Ali Ali Oxenfree. Igor Ali Ali Oxenfree Dialov. Yeah, I I apologize, and I'm being sincere here because these are real people who did really die under mysterious circumstances. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just really bad at pronouncing these names. So I apologize in advance for butchering this stuff. But we have Igor Alex, uh, Igor Dyatlov, age 23. Yuri Doroshenko. (laughs) Yeah, I just skipped. (laughs) I just skipped the middle name there. I gave up. Mm -hmm. I've seen it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yuri Doroshenko, age 21. Uh, Luida Milia Dubriana. Layuda. Layuda? Yeah, Layuda Dubinia. I don't think it says Layuda. No, it's Layuda Dubinina. But there's an M in there. It's Layuda Milia, but like, you know, Layuda was a short. Yeah, I'm trying to make it easy for you. All right. Well, hey, it it says Layuda Milla or Layuda Milla? Layuda Milla Dub. Uh, anyways, she was age 20. Dubinina. Um, Gior- Georgi uh, Krishen Krivoshenko, age 20. Yeah, age 23. What what Agent Locke said. Hey, Agent Locke. Hello, yes. Would you like to read the rest of the names since I apparently I'm can't sorry. do it? Starting at uh, Alexander. <laughs> so we have Alexander uh, <laughs> Kalivatov. We have uh, uh, Zinyata Akoma. Come on, go. Wait, what, 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 uh, what, hold on. How old, how old was Alexander? Oh, I don't have the ages here. I apologize. They're right, they're right oh, there I, in the I, notes. I, I minimized that. Do you see that number right next to his name? Hey, let me, let me go back here. He wasn't going off the notes. He was going off that dome piece. <laughs> Agent Locke, there's a reason why I uploaded the notes for everybody to see. All right, you want to start again? <laughs> we're, we're trying to follow a format. <laughs> Lock. No, dude. This is a whole new format. There's no starting again. There's no edits. We're oh, just gonna go. Yeah. All right. So 24 <laughs> for Alexander. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, thank you, sir. Zina Koloma Koloma Gorova. Zanadia. See, it's Zanadia. not so easy, is it? Well, yeah. When you're on the spot, and you're not. <laughs> I, so, and now, yeah, I apologize now for you know Koloma cutting Gorova. in with you. So it was yeah, Koloma Koloma Gorova. Yeah, 22. Uh, Rustem Slobodem. Oh, yeah. Slobnobin? Rust- <laughs> 23. <laughs> uh, Nikolai Tebio Abrino. 23. Zimion uh, Zolotorov. Uh, how did you get How Zolotorov. did you get Nikolai's name correct with that hyphen in there? And you missed this next one, which is seems a little easier to me. Oh, I don't, I don't know, know if any of us is get, are getting any of this correct, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you know you have a, you have a point there <laughs> and then we got yuri yudin which is actually the only person that survived this incident because of health issues caused him to leave early before they actually spoilers. did their main hike mm-hmm. spoilers agent lock yeah man okay hey the main point here is we have you know nine talented hikers and they're all quite young yeah and the only person that was, you know, much older was the Zimion. 
if you count them all, I believe the number is actually 10. Including, and, yeah, including Yuri, yeah. Well, yeah, but Yuri and, took off. And yeah. Yuri is, uh, he's 21 years old. Yeah, but we didn't get to that part yet. We're, we're, we're working up to that. Mm-hmm. All right. Got to work up to Yuri there. Okay, so let's start off with just the, the basic narrative of where we're starting from. Obviously, you guys know that something weird happened or we wouldn't be talking about it. But let's start at the beginning. The leader of this group was Igor Dyatlov. And that's why we call it the Dyatlov Pass is because after the fact, they named the pass after the leader of the group, Igor Dyatlov. That's why they call it the Dyatlov Pass. Mm-hmm. This group of people, they're, they're all students except for, except for uh, Seaman Zola, Ta- Zol S-Z, the 38-year-old, the, the only guy who's like the outlier, supposedly met up with him later on. Yeah, Everybody yeah. else was a student. From the from the university, they're all in their early twenties. Yeah, and Zolotar was actually a, he was supposed to be a ski instructor and uh, also a World War II vet. So their their goal was to get across the northern Urals in the Svidon to uh, something Oblast Soviet Union. <laughs> Sever, <laughs> Sev, you know I can't I can't let it go, man. I have to try to meet that challenge. You know what I mean? Well, you know Sverdovsk. Sverdovsk, I apologize. I'm really sorry to our Russian friends out there. I'm not doing this oh. on purpose, I promise. Oh, this might be <laughs> this might be some good entertainment for them. They're just like, like, what the hell? Yeah. Are they, like, what, yeah. what spelling are these guys looking at? Are they looking at the same spelling that I know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's not that hard. Naenanjetnanov or whatever, you know, from Office Space. Anyways, <laughs> so their goal was to get across these mountains. And they were all experienced grade two rated hikers, which was at, out of the, all the ranking system, grade three was the highest. Mm-hmm. And they were doing this hike to earn their grade three. So this was a, a fairly difficult hike, but these were also very experienced hikers. Yeah. They knew their stuff. They would not get lost on a short five mile hike like you and I would. They would know how to find their way out of the woods. They're hiking up a mountain here. So they know what they're doing. Yeah. Their goal was to reach the Gora Otorten mountain, which was about six miles north of the Dyatlov Pass, which, spoilers, is where they all died. So what happens is on January 25th, they arrived in a small village of Vizhai, which were, that's where they meeted. Meeted. Uh, I might, I might edit that out because that sounds pretty stupid, but I probably won't because it's also very funny. <laughs> so they, they met. Uh, let me try that again. They met on January twenty fifth in nineteen fifty nine in a small village of Viz High to kind of group up and get ready to go towards you know the hike. And while they were there, they bought and ate some loaves of bread and possibly some other supplies. That may or may not be a factor later. We'll see. So they were there. They stayed overnight and they left on the 27th of January on their expedition. Now, while they were hiking on the 28th of January, the next day, Yuri Yudin, he turned back and went home because he had some health problems. He had some like joint pains and he was sick. This is uh so sorry, guys, agent Locke already spoiled that part of the story for you. I know it's kind of a letdown, but hey, it is what it is. You Deal are welcome. <laughs> yes, thank you. We do appreciate you. So he was the only survivor of this expedition, unfortunately. But hey, it turns out sometimes, you know, 
natural selection gets it wrong. You know, the weak guy survived, so good for him. On the 31st of January, they were preparing to climb the mountain or climb through the pass, and they left some supplies in a forest for the return trip, so they left some stuff behind. So on February 1st, they moved through the pass, and they were planning to camp on the far side of the pass. But while they were traveling through the pass, they got hit with bad weather, which was like snowstorms, and uh, I don't really know what it was, but you have to guess that it was probably it was, was bad visibility conditions. It was supposed conditions. to be pretty much a, a complete whiteout, wasn't it? As far as yeah. like how much snow was coming down and, and the, the wind speed that they were confronted with? Like, they didn't have weather satellites back then, so I'm not sure if we know 100% what the bad weather was, mm. but they think the bad weather affected the party because they got lost and they went in the wrong direction. After a while, they realized that they went in the wrong direction and they set up camp on the slope of the mountain. And this is the kind of the first weird part. They set up camp about a mile away from the woods. And if the weather was bad, why wouldn't they have just gone back to the woods, which the trees and bushes and things would have offered them a little bit of protection from the snowstorm. Mm. But on the other hand, maybe they had very poor visibility, so they really had no choice. They realized that they were going the wrong way because they were going uphill and they were not supposed to be going uphill yet. And they said, well, we're not in the right spot. Let's just stop here and camp for the night and maybe the weather will be better in the morning. So who knows? But I'm guessing that's kind of what happened. So that night, the night of February 1st, they all died. They're all dead. Now, they were supposed to send a telegram on the 12th of February back home to let everybody know that they had reached their objective and that everybody, everything was okay. Quite often with this sort of an expedition, there are delays. Maybe it wouldn't have been till the 15th or whatever. So people started getting worried, but they didn't get super worried until about the 20th of February. At that point, the families started making a lot of noise mm -hmm. and convinced the authorities to send out search parties. They sent out search parties, both civilian and military, to find them. And they eventually found the party on the 26th. What they found was kind of weird. The tent where they had camped in was cut open from the inside. And the people inside the tent, the party, they, they all rushed out of the tent. This is the first mystery because the tent obviously had an opening or a door they could have left out of. Why would they have cut a hole in the tent and escaped that way instead of just going through the opening of the tent. Even if the weather was bad, they would have had to been able to see inside the tent, right? They would have had access to some kind of light source, lanterns or something, I'm guess. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing. I don't know. But the that this is where it starts to get weird and it only gets weirder. They all left wearing almost nothing at all. They had underwear on. Some of them had socks. Some of them were barefoot. One of them had one shoe on, one foot, but not the other. And they ran out into this weather, which was so cold that there was no hope of survival without wearing any clothes. You would, they would not have expected to survive more than a short amount of time out there. So this indicates that they were probably panicked from something. Something really freaked them out and they felt that they had to get out of the tent right now. 
They couldn't wait. They couldn't get dressed. They couldn't even spend 30 seconds to put on their shoes. They had to escape immediately. But what could have caused that in this area? That's really the whole crux of this mystery. Now, the footprints led towards the edge of the woods, which again was about one mile away. At the edge of the woods, there was a tree that had a small fire underneath of it. And the tree itself had branches that were broken to about 15 feet high, indicating that one of the people there had probably climbed the tree. But if they'd climbed the tree to look, the, the idea is that they'd climbed the tree to look for the camp or the tent. But if the visibility was zero or the weather was bad, why would they climb the tree to look for their camp? They wouldn't have been able to see it anyway. So that part is another kind of really weird mystery. They found two bodies at this campfire and the tree. That was Krivonshenko and Doroshenko. They were both shoeless and in their underwear. Between this fire and the tree and the original tent camp, they found three more bodies, which is Kolomogorova, Slobdin, and the leader Dyatlov. Those people appeared to that they were trying to head back towards the tent and they were found separately at 300, 480 and 630 meters from the tree. And the, the snow was pretty thick at this point. So this suggests that they were trying to return to the tent. They couldn't necessarily see each other all that well. And they all just sort of died in different places, trying to get back about two months later they found the remaining four bodies. Those were found on the 4th of May under 13 feet of snow in a ravine about 240 feet further into the, into the woods than where the fire was. Three out of four of these people were somewhat dressed and they were wearing clothing that belonged to other people. So this suggests that maybe they grabbed clothes in the dark and they don't know who was, whose clothing they were wearing or maybe they took clothing off of people who had already died to try to stay warm. But in any case, they were found in a ravine dead, covered by snow. Some of the clothes were kind of burned and torn. They all died from, from different causes. Some of them died from hypothermia, but some of them actually died from injuries, which is yet another mystery. How could these people die from injuries out in the middle of nowhere when they're covered in snow? There was an official investigation and they concluded that everybody died of compelling natural forces. And I don't know what that means, but that was the conclusion. So that's the very basic story. Now I'm going to hand it off to agents ETA and agent Locke to talk about some of the more, more detailed nuances of the case, because it gets a lot weirder than what I've already said. Yes, it absolutely does. There's no, I don't think there's really any understating that in almost every aspect of this case. It's everything about it is freaking weird, dude. Just starting out with the, the tents, the location that they chose to stake their tents, it wasn't necessarily like the best location that you could think of, but there is a way to describe that. I guess, you know, they couldn't have had uh, very much visibility if there was um, um, a lot of weather around them, especially if it's snow. So, okay, maybe they just at some point decided to, stake their tents where they were, you know what I mean? So, you know, we'll just do this. And, and for the very fact that their, their tents were uh, found still staked, 
um, it, it couldn't have been so bad. I, maybe I'm being naive, but it couldn't have been so bad to where they, they could not have staked their tents because obviously that's how their, their tents were found. But leading in, into where the searchers uh, were searching the tents, not only were the, the damage to the tent, you know, would describe somebody ripping their way out of the tent in a, a you know, what most people would presume is a, a frenzied panic, you know, because why else would you do that? Like you, like you described. And also the, there was a, a bunch of uh, just belongings. It wasn't just clothes and shoes and stuff, but it was also, you know, supplies that any experienced hiker would, would want to have with them if they were going into the elements, like these people were found, you know, um, they were found in just areas that, you know, there, there's no cover, there's no uh, protection from the elements and, and they didn't have much on them. None of them did, you know, to protect, protect themselves. But yeah, you know, it's, it's very odd, the whole campsite. And then they were able to find, uh, you know, those footprints that, which led them to the first victims, which is extremely weird that, 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 that first site is very, very odd by the campfire because the, the tree right next to him, like you had described, was was all torn up. All the limbs were broken off of it and stuff. The bark was was disheveled. And also, um, which one was it? Was it um, Kravonashenko or was it um, Dorovshenko that, that was found with the, the, the abrasions and like the scratch marks and stuff on his chest? Do you know Agent Locke? Well, yeah, it was Doroshenko that had kind of, are you referring to the particles of moss and pine needles that were yeah. found on the right side of the head? Yeah, so, yeah, so, so people think like, that he might have been the one that, that climbed up the tree. Yeah, and I think it was because he was either, I, I don't, some say that he was trying to, uh, you know, get visibility, but I get, I think in those winds on that particular night, that would be very difficult. So mm -hmm. the other theory is that he was trying to get little barks and stuff, cut them off to use for a little fire, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. There's a there's actually yeah. a third theory that I'm borrowing from uh, one of my favorite podcasts, Alien Theorist Theorizing. Oh, yeah. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but a third theory is that he was being abducted by aliens and they were kind of sucking him into the ship with like a tractor beam or something. Mm -hmm. And he was clinging onto the tree so, to try to avoid being sucked up into the ship. And that's why it, it looks like he was climbing the tree, but he was actually just grabbing onto it while he was being abducted mm -hmm. yeah that would that would be crazy and that that might it might explain explain some of the injuries he had because he either was frantic frantically holding on to the tree or frantically climbing up the tree somehow i mean but i mean his injuries do make sense i think with uh some kind of interaction with the tree one of those two you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, because he had a lot of abrasions and scratches on his face and his hands, like his fingertips. So that shows that the, I mean, in that instance, it you know it adds credibility to him trying to climb. But then mm -hmm. there are injuries on his, you know, his lower legs as well. Oh yeah, the, and his arms, which looks like he may have fell. Yeah, you know, well, throwing the UFO theory aside, wasn't he, he burned had, also? Uh, yeah, it did look like he had some burn marks on it. The uh, let me. Uh, I think it was his lower his lower legs and feet, and like some of the the because he uh, the, the, neither one of them had very much clothing on, um, but the little bit of clothing they did have were like small clothing, like you know uh, undergarments. You know, um, the stuff that we use nowadays, you know, as boxers or you know you know underwear of, of any way, shape, and sort. But their undergarments that they were using were like long, like yeah, long johns of sorts. You know what I mean? Yeah. It could be possible that whenever they tried to get whatever campfire set up that they were doing that, you know, that night, maybe, you know, when, as they succumbed to the elements, maybe they were so close that they caught, you know, maybe. They or, or he was climbing up the tree 
in fear of something and somehow that something was trying to burn him from beneath. I've heard that theory, like as far as like how he got those injuries and how that he got the burn marks to his small clothes, you know? I just, I just want to throw out there that I'm actually going commando style right now. Oh yeah, dude. Well, you got to live free, baby. You know? That's true. Well, while we're on the topic, you yeah. know? <laughs> so, okay. So the, the, those first two bodies by the campfire were the first found. And, and then the next three that were found were, were in between the two sites. And, um, I, I think one thing that I found really interesting, uh, that I heard mentioned that supposedly was found in the autopsy was, uh, Dyatlov had bruising marks around his ankles and, and they would be consistent with somebody who had their ankles tied. Although there wasn't uh, any like binding material or any ropes or anything that was found around his ankles. They did find those bruise, those bruises and the bruises were, yeah. were on the front and the backs of both of his ankles. So, yeah. And they, they actually saw that there was hemorrhaging inside the underlying tissue as well mm-hmm. for his ankles. So yeah, it could look like they were bound and the blood supply was being cut off or something or blood vessels were, you know what I mean? Yeah. They were kind of ruptured inside there. Yeah. And so the first guys that uh, everybody was, that was found, the first group of people that were found were all um, basically, they said that all of them died. They succumbed to hypothermia. That that was the ruling basically uh, um, through the autopsy, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, the but most of them were classified as hypothermia. But every it, every single one of them still has something odd about the way it, that they were found. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah. So I mean, and not I mean, if if only just the the area that they were found in, you know, in perimeter to the campsite, and also this 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 uh, first site, the campfire. You know, it's just uh, none of them should be in the situation that they're in that they were found in. You know. Mm-hmm. And for Dyatlov, it didn't look like he had any internal injuries taking place like some of the later victims that we'll be discussing here. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. So, yeah, I mean, this sounds like a, a, a good enough segue as any, I suppose, however clunky it may be. You want to move on to the next uh, group of, of victims that were found? Uh, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, the initial, okay, so um, let's see here. I'm going to take this little uh, edit edit break right here to uh, take a shot. Because it's good good time as any, you know what I mean? Get my, you know, loosen up my cockles and subcockles. Get all saucy, baby, you know? What are, what are you drinking over there? Who, me? Yes, you. Oh, a little bit of the old Cellar Jerry and uh, Canada Dry Bold Ginger Ale. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, Cellar Jerry's good stuff. I'm having some Bear Republic Racer 5. Oh, yeah. It's dude. a local... Local brewery over here. I'm not going to brag, but I live uh, pretty close to this place. It's about a 20-minute drive. Not too bad. And it's delicious. Oh, it's a solid brew. As solid as anything's yeah. going to get. Well, it's up there. It's, it's uh, you know, it's no Pliny the Elder, but Pliny the Elder is a, a different beer, you know, altogether yeah. pretty much so. I'd know. say it's, it's probably influenced by Pliny a little bit. And if you can't get your hands on Pliny and all you have available is Racer 5, it's not a bad choice. Mm-hmm. All right, so <coughs> the other victims in this incident, of course. Now, they, I mean, uh, initially, they. <coughs> Dude. I inhaled. Right, I might edit that. I out. inhaled some fluid. <laughs> Sorry, bro. <coughs> so, uh, usually, sometimes, like when I take shots, right? Mm-hmm. I'll do the little one, two, three, you know? Mm hmm. A little bit of soda pop, a little bit of shot, a little bit of soda pop. And uh, <clears throat> that was weird. So 
you know, I put a little bit of soda pop and then I inhaled a little bit by accident and I inhaled some of the bubblies coming up off of it, some of that carbonation spitting and, hmm. you know, <clears throat> bubbling in the back of my throat, baby, you know? Hmm. Sinners, I don't know what you're thinking about, but don't take what I see out of context. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, no, I inhaled that shit. So I had a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of soda pop down the wrong pipe, you know? <clears throat> that gad reflex, you know, kicked in. You Sorry. reached your threshold. You gotta, you gotta work on that gag reflex, dude. Yeah. Much of a threshold. You I can overcome that much. if you want. Yeah, but yeah. I don't want. You, you gotta practice, dude. That's uh, all I'm for saying. what? Just you know, <laughs> I don't plan on taking too many trips to uh, Bangkok and exploring too many of them soy streets. You know what I mean? Sometimes it comes in useful to not have a gag reflex. That's all I'm saying. All right, <laughs> you got, you got some for Sage and Lock. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. <clears throat> so those were the first. Oh, okay, um, hey dude, hey, Asian Lock, Asian Lock. Yes. Hey, if a uh, or Agent ETA burps or something, I can just mute that track. Don't sweat about it, dude. Just keep talking. It's all good. If it sounds, if if it's overlapping stuff and it gets in the way, I'll just mute that stuff. So don't worry about it, dude. Hey man, okay. you, hey, you're gonna hear all kinds of mouth mouth noise. You know. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Now you know that. And knowing's half the battle. Okay. That's true. I appreciate you. Thank you. So we got we got through the first three. Of course, there are two others that were found, you know, and these were like the initial bodies, you know, found during the investigations, and then the other four didn't come to a bit later. And uh the next one is uh the Zina Komogorova. She was found about, you know, six hundred thirty meters from the cedar tree. Her body was face down. And, of course, she had, you know, the typical abrasions all across the face, the fingers, and then across the, uh, well, I mean, on the side, like on her lumbar region, which was, you know, I, th- I believe was, yeah, the right side of the torso, she had a, a very large red bruise, you know, about, mm-hmm. yeah, that was on there. So, it, they kind of, you know, looked like some type of blunt force that hit her there. So, that's a, you know, very odd kind of injury to have, you know, given that they were just moving away from a tent. But... Mm-hmm. And then yeah, they, and both of them, um, Zolotaryov uh, and uh, Dubinina, both had major chest fractures. But the the odd thing about their injuries were there there weren't any abrasions on the outside where they had the internal injuries. So, and that's one of the the big things that people talk about. The one of the big points where they talk about maybe some type of energy field that they got hit with, or you know, um, some type of concussion that they got hit with. It caused those injuries because it's kind of a hard uh, series of injuries to explain because, you know, if there's no abrasions on the outside, it doesn't look like they got hit by a blunt object. How did they get all that in, in internal damage? Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of conspiracies that, that, that swirl around those injuries. Yeah. Same for, uh, uh Rustem Slobodin. He actually had, mm-hmm. he had a lot of head injury, head injuries uh, occurring as well. A lot of hemorrhaging. And of course the similar abrasions on the head or sorry, the hands and then scratches mm-hmm. across, you know, various scratches across the face. And then, uh, you know, and then so, uh, Nikolai Brignone, however you pronounce it, man, Nikolai Brignones, right. He also had a fractured skull or did you already mention him? No, no, I was because those are the the four remaining that we get to. I was yeah. just for, I was doing the first five and then moving into the the remaining four that they find later. Because oh, those dude, ones, I thought we already moved into the remaining four, dude. I was already mm. there. Okay, I'm there <laughs> no, right now. No, that's fine. I was just kind of I wanted to separate them because they're where the injuries are. You know, 
a lot more, uh, you know, that there's a lot more stronger, you know, internal injuries that took place. So that's where yeah, it gets well, really. Well, there's, there's, well, I mean, there's all sorts of craziness and Tom Fuller shenanigans when we're talking about these damn injuries. I mm-hmm. mean, Dubonina was missing her damn eyes, both of her eyes, right? Yeah, like yeah, Layuda Dubinina. She actually had uh, both her eyes were missing, her tongue was missing, and mm-hmm. then the her ribs on both her left and right side were fractured. So something yeah. well, gave a lot of also, blood force to her. It also looked like she had bitten off part of her lips as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, either she had bitten off part of her own lips, but or or somebody else had. But yeah, no, it appears that the, those injuries were consistent. And there's also pictures that that, that kind of support it, but. You know, through through decomposition and, and you know the period of time that these bodies were sitting out there, obviously some things are going to be uh, hard to interpret. Some of these injuries, you know, but <clears throat> I mean, they they were found in, in plenty of an odd way. <laughs> you know, it, it's it, this is uh, some weird shit, dude. Yeah, she also had massive hemorrhaging in her right her heart's right atrium as well, which was you know mm, the atrium. So yeah, there's just a lot of there was just a significant force that hit their you know hit her chest, and these uh, these remaining four were actually found a good distance away from you know the cedar tree. They were actually found in like a ravine, which uh, let's see. And some people think that like some of these injuries may have been caused caused by them falling down that ravine, and I don't know. I, I've heard I've heard two different sides of that story. I've heard some people uh, say that the ravine wasn't steep enough or deep enough for those injuries to be caused. And then I've also heard other people state the quite opposite that no, no, it, it could have happened with some of these inclines. But, and mind you, both of those people that I heard uh, were interviews of, of individuals that had actually been to the site. Uh, mind you, obviously none of us have been to the site. So, I mean, most of what we're talking about is all speculation, you know? So, it's it's a very different different story than you know if you've been to the site, which is why some some of these testimonies are so important for me, and and why some of it is so confusing for me also because you hear very um, opposite things from people that have been to the site themselves, you know, and they come up with very different stories or, or opinions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, granted, I mean, assuming that you know they were traveling in complete darkness, because I I believe at this particular. Uh, you know the what was theorized as the time when they left the tent. I don't think there was any uh, light being uh, created by the moon, and I it was also I think in the investigation they saw that you know many of their you know they didn't have men- most of their belongings, so it looked like you know they mm-hmm. were just traveling in the complete darkness. So I mean, mm-hmm. uh, if it's a reasonable drop, like if it's a pretty steep, I mean, it wouldn't even need to be really steep in that ravine if they're in the dark. And then they're not quite sure where they're going. I mean, a sudden, you know, stumble into something like that could prove pretty, uh, pretty damaging to the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, is there? I mean, that's pretty much the extent. I mean, of the knowledge that I have with their injuries. Um, is yeah. there anything more you want to talk about with the injuries, Agent Locke? Well, well yeah. There's also with uh, Zimion, He also had the same thing on his right side of his uh, rib cage. Mm-hmm. You know, he had mm-hmm. multiple fractures that occurred, which, you know, based on the forensic expert that reviewed these, uh, that did the autopsies, they said that, you know, it would require a, a, sh- a strong amount of blunt force in order to create the fractures that they sustained. So, yeah, but there wasn't any evidence of a, a blunt force object having hit them as far as the, mm-hmm. you know, their epidermis on the outside. 
right? No, no, because, yeah, from what they, you know, given the path that they followed from their tent to where they've, you know, met their demise, it, you know, there was no, it was just, it was a lot of walking and then it was, a, you know what I mean? And and then dealing with the the, the cold elements, so. Yeah, it's uh, it's very odd, you know, I mean, it, like, like for... For example, no. obviously, you know the 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 common ex- explanation by the government was it was a, uh, an avalanche, right? Wasn't that the yeah. first uh, a, a explanation? That is the main theory that keeps circulating about the Dyatlov Pass, but it's very difficult to go along with that theory, in my opinion, because uh, mm-hmm. based on people who've went there and studied that slope, it wasn't steep enough or had an angle that would be you know sufficient for an avalanche to kind of you know, accumulate well enough to, and then also being yeah. that their tent was still there. I mean, if there was an oh, avalanche yeah, to yeah. create that kind of uh, impact on them and such damage, I mean, why is their tent still well, in the yeah. same spot at all? The, the tents wouldn't be there. The, those, those uh, feet prints that they followed to the bodies themselves. That would be all covered. There. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know how, I, I mean, it's hard for me to kind of visualize exactly how far apart these things were even like, I don't know, hearing the, the uh, explanations, you know, of the distances and stuff. I don't have that good of a spatial, uh, you know, uh, imagination, I guess. But, you know, uh, avalanches can, you know, cover wide areas and, and the fire may have not been there as well. You know what I mean? And also, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, it's just that you wouldn't have found as much evidence. You know, they, they wouldn't have been able to follow any any evidence, really, if it was avalanche. Everything would be covered, you know. Hell, they, they, might, have, they might not have even ever found them if it was an av- avalanche, you know. Mm-hmm. And it also doesn't add to another element that's part of the story, and that is that they ran testing against the clothing from these uh, hikers, and they, you know, they found substantial uh, uh, contamination, like radiation contamination, on the clothing. Now, from what mm-hmm. I was reading, at that time, the Soviet Union had a sanit- had sanitary standards for beta particle contamination that was under five thousand decays per minute per uh, twenty three square inches. And many of their cl- the clothing pieces that they had tested were right a little bit above that normal, you know, contamination level. And then that was that, that this is many weeks, you know, so they were out in the elements for however long. So it could have been even higher prior to that, you know. Man, look at you over there trying to sound smart and shit. Trying, hey, you know. I don't understand most of what you said, but I do know I heard stories of like discoloration and stuff, the the, the garments that they were wearing. Yeah. Like, like discoloration in a way that w- would be consistent with the uh, high doses of radiation, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that works to be quite honest, well, but. Well, yeah, there was one brown, like, and that's the thing uh, of the, these clothes, the, there was a brown sweater found that actually had around 10,000 decays per minute. So uh, basically according to that radiologist, all the, all the, all these clothes that they had tested exceeded the standards for people working with radioactive substances, like, but they weren't doing anything like that. They were hiking. Like so. 10,000 George decays. <laughs> that we're talking about absolutely yeah, i'll oh go my with that god <laughs> yeah that'd be pretty sweet <laughs> you know they really should come up with a unit of measurement why why not <laughs> dude that would be that would be the most entertaining unit of measurement right there oh how many uh decays there are oh, 10,000 george decays <laughs> yeah i mean you got maxwells and jewels and you know all sorts of weird things named after people that are they're scientists. They're not bad people, yeah, but they're not I entertaining people. I don't need it to be directly related to the, the subject that it's named after, you know? I mean, yeah, you know, 
<laughs> it, 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 it could be way more uh, simple to be entertaining to me, you know? Yeah. And to add on the, uh, that radiation uh, talking point, uh, one of the things I found uh, from a author who wrote like Dead Mountain, which is, you know, about this incident, he had spoken directly with to a Tatiana Datlov, which is uh, Igor's younger sister. Damn, and she, she explained, hot, dude, <laughs> she said, I was dur- just thinking, you know, I kind of like that name, Tatiana. That's a nice name. <laughs> You men are filthy. That was the first thing I thought. I'm just saying. Well, yeah, I, yeah. it's You're a nice. Right. Th- I, I had no filthy thoughts. I just had the thought. That's I a did. very nice name. That's all I thought. I had all the filthy thoughts. I, as soon as he said Tatiana, <laughs> I was like, oh, God damn, that sounds like a beautiful stripper. You know, like. <laughs> so let me get this straight. By uttering what? the word Tatiana, it sparked all this uh, knowledge you have of various. Hey, I have a wild imagination, my friend. Yes, sir, Tatiana. Hey, that's a beautiful name. Well, if I complete the sentence about what she talked about regarding her brother's uh, funeral, that might oh, shrink, look at, shrink look at your Asian For the second time in a row here, bringing us back on topic. I appreciate you, sir. Hold on, though. Could, could you do it in a falsetto voice for me, please? Yes. <laughs> Wait. Just, just for science, Talk? for re- uh, research yeah, purposes. Yeah. We're doing science, dude. Wait, I do yeah. not compute. <laughs> high pitch voice. Oh, high, oh talk, okay. Yeah, talk like you're a girl. Thank yeah, you, dude. All righty then. You know. So you see here. Yeah. Come on, Asian Lock. <laughs> <laughs> this is quite embarrassing, and I can't, I can't, I can't create that character for you. I apologize. I well, want to. I just right, embarrassed well, myself. I'll, I'll use my vast imagination then. Go for it, dude. <laughs> yes, right. dude. All right. So add to this point. Uh, wait. I'm trying to recall where it was. Wait, what? <laughs> okay. So basically someone who had interviewed Tatiana Diatlov, she had, she, she made a point to uh, describe that uh, Igor at his funeral, he did not look the same as she remembered him prior to that hiking, uh, mm. you know, trip. She said, she had said that his hair was completely white and his skin, his skin was quite aged. And for someone who's 23 years old, that that just seems quite bizarre. Like, yes, I mean, being out in the elements, you know, the decaying corpse, you know, with the, you know, whatever the the sun, the the, you know, I mean, the humidity, rigor mortis, and all the things that happen to a dead body after it it dies. Yeah, I can. After it happens to a body after it's dead. Yeah. I mean, I could see possibilities in the aging, but then she also said that the face was was very brownish and discolored. So, I mean, well, I, I think they could still explain the skin, though. Yeah, fair enough. The, the I mean, color, the color, and or the sagging or advanced age of the skin, because who knows what's going to happen to a skin? How a body's going to react to whatever the hell it is that they went through, right? Mm-hmm, but the yeah. hair, the hair is very odd because. Yeah. I mean, there's no process that I've ever heard of. I'm no expert in any way, shape, or form when it comes to this type of shit. But, I mean, I've never heard of anybody's hair turning white, you know what I mean, when they died. Um, I just don't know how that happens, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't see how hypothermia would cause that either. Because it looked like Igor definitely, you know, passed from hypothermia. Because yeah. he didn't have the well, same type of Im- injuries as the others. But, you know, yeah, did the dude's hair definitely wasn't still freaking frozen, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds when I when I read that bit of it, it sounds to me like turning your hair white would have to be like a direct physical contact with some kind of chemical agent that wouldn't be caused by 
you know, by like sound waves or mm -hmm. being afraid or something that would have to, do you think that could be radiation? Maybe, I don't know. You'd have to ask a scientist, but it would mm -hmm. require direct interaction. I would think, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah, that would make sense to me. So you guys want to dig into some of that, their, uh, conspiracy theories and different, uh, stuff that people have theorized about this here case. Let's do it. I'll start us off with our first theory, which is mm -hmm. that this whole thing was caused by the Yeti, AKA the abominable snowman, AKA oh. the Russian Bigfoot, AKA El Nasty. Oh. The theory goes that the crushing damage inflicted upon some of the victims could have been caused by a large ape-like creature. Also, when monkeys or apes attack a person, they will sometimes tear things off like lips, tongues, arms, whatever. Genitals. So that could, hey, yeah. That's the, let's be honest. That's the first thing they go for. No, it is. Yeah. Yeah. But, but we're, we're theorizing here. It is, don't, they don't necessarily, yeah. maybe they don't go straight for the genitals. Maybe they go straight for the lips. Who knows? So the theory is that this damage could potentially be caused by the abominable snowman or the Yeti. But when you really look at the data or the evidence, there's kind of zero to back it up. You could, it, it would make more sense to say that the Russian coyote, whatever the heck that is, came along and ate the eyeballs. That would be more plausible than, you know, a Yeti. So it's a really fun theory, but it doesn't really pan out because there's zero evidence to support it. There's no footprints. There's no, you know, big giant footprints. There's no hair samples. There's no arms torn off. It looks just kind of like maybe if it was animals, it was smaller animals that could have done this damage. But I still like the theory. I like the idea that it could have been a Yeti that had done all this. Maybe it was kind of sneaking around their camp when they were in their tent and they're starting to get freaked out. Then they heard a roar outside, a roar, you know, Yeti roar. And then they cut their way out the back because they were super scared or something. I, it might make a, a good movie. I don't know. Wait a minute. I watched that, uh, that show that, you know, with the, the turtle man when he was hunting Sasquatch. I'm pretty uh -huh. sure his call went something to the effect of woo, loo, loo or something like that. Right. I thought that's how the, the Sasquatch sound, sounded. Oh no! It's not. It's it, not a roar. It's a, a woo loo loo. We're talking about the Russian Sasquatch, and we know. Oh that no! This, you know. Yeah. You know. You know. What I'm thinking of is South Park. That oh, was a loo loo loo. Yeah, loo loo That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, everybody. You know, that's no. I'd rather keep that memory. You know, <laughs> that's how I prefer to to think of Sasquatch. <laughs> dear, dear Butters, to your heart. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's pretty much, that's that particular theory. Who who wants to talk about uh, a different theory on this one? Well, shit. I mean, yeah, I think we should. I think Agent Locke has a, uh, I think Agent Locke should shut the fuck up and talk about his uh, theory. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> what, dude? Spit it out, bro. Well, I'm, I'm saying that your theory is, is uh, my, my theory is a bit ridiculous. 
So, well, no, that's fine. Well, we'll I'll, I'll go ahead real quick, and then I'll, I'll hand, hand the baton to you. So one of the oh, theories, <laughs> one of the theories is that the, the Mansi people, which is a local indigenous tribe of that region, actually attacked the hikers when they were up on that uh, that slope. But there's no indication, like when they did their investigation, there was no other footsteps footsteps that they found other than ones you know connected to these uh, these night hikers. And when you look a little bit at the Mansi people, or the, you know, they they look like a very peaceful tribe, and nothing kind of points to you know that type of violence that would you know result in blunt force trauma to the you know several of the 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 hikers' rib cage, you know, their heads. I, it just doesn't add up. I mean, it requ- it would require like uh, it would almost be like the Mansi people had a yeti, and they unleashed that mm-hmm. on the hikers. That would <laughs> that it would yeah. that would be just as ridiculous as saying the Mansi people. You know, so I don't buy that. Well, uh, but that also wouldn't align with with uh, the, their traditions and how they generally act. Yeah, I mean, they're they're peace they're peaceful people that that tend to be in tune with the, their surroundings. You know, um, they don't act like that. They, they don't they don't uh, typically raise any kind of animal to sick it on anything. You know. Yeah, and then you know th- there was even uh, like uh, many volunteers during uh, volunteers during that investigation that assisted with trying to uh, navigate the area because they knew it very well and they wanted to assist mm-hmm. with trying to help the, find the bodies. Oh yeah, and, and as soon as they were aware of this situation, they immediately volunteered their help. You know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it, yeah, if you were guilty of that, why would you be that willing to put yourself on the front line of? the quote unquote investigation, I guess you could say to what you potentially may have done. If you were the ones that were the perpetrators of the, this event, you know, as far as, you know, that led up to the, the deaths of all these people. I mean, yeah, like, like, like we were talking about before that nothing about this makes any freaking sense, dude. You know, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a weird one. This is a weird one. No. Yeah, it absolutely is. One of the 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 most interesting elements of this case to me is also like a theory of what caused their death. And uh, so I, there was a group of hikers uh, around on February first, which was the you know the night of when this you know the, this group supposedly you know succumbed to you know their you know to the elements or whatever. But uh, essentially, a group of hikers they saw a strange uh, uh, they saw a strange orbs of light in the sky. Oh, yeah. 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 And then again, this occurred later February 17th by another group led by this uh, man named uh, uh, Vladislav. He, basically, mm-hmm. his group recounted that they saw a group of, uh, they saw basically large light spots that grew larger and larger. And it caused some uh, terror among the group. And it, it, they said it seemed like a, something was about to collide with the earth and it caused a lot of panic among, amongst them. And this was a theory that kind of circulated oh, the investigation. Yeah, this was, a, yeah. It was a, uh, a, an element that was circulating this investigation for a good period of time. And for me, what I think happened is, you know, I think whatever these orbs of light were, whether they be paranormal or man-made, they, you know, that night when they went to, you know, prepare for, you know, the rest, you know, I, I think some type of sound that was emanated or that emanated from these lights uh, caused a disturbance among the group. And then, of course, mm-hmm. for me, it would also kind of connect the the whole radiation exposure that they encountered because perhaps there was yeah. uh, it started with a sound and then it led to some type of sensation that all the hikers were feeling inside the tent, which caused them to sporadically cut their way out, and they didn't feel like they had any time to grab the you know their belongings. They just had to leave, 
And then yeah, as they yeah. left, of course, they, you know, the elements were quite rough that evening and they didn't have any light. So I think a, a, from there, they kind of succumbed to a lot of, uh, you know, mishaps, you know, for me, I think it's yeah. possible that if they were in the dark, the, 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 the four that uh, were found in the ravine, I think it, there's potential that they fell like in yeah. a pretty, you know, pretty, it kind of, it kind of led to a series of, uh, unfortunate events. Yeah. I guess yeah. You'd say. But there's definitely something strange that occurred initially that sparked them to go away, and I think it's related yes. to that those fire orbs that they, that were seen in the sky. Not just by you know, yeah. there there was several accounts of people saying they saw that stuff in the sky, but no one knows what it was mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, well, and some of the some of some of the, the natives the natives from the area also uh, gave accounts of seeing those same orbs, didn't mm-hmm. they? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, there was quite a few, and for a while uh, the. Uh, what was his name? The lead investigator, which was a, a, a Lev Ivanov. He, mm-hmm. uh, he was kind of sitting on this theory for a while until later he was kind of, it, it appears he was told to stop that type of investigation and focus more on, you know, natural elements. Some, some orders came from above. Yeah. Yeah. It looked, cause he had to leave and go speak to his superiors. And then when he came back, those conversations completely stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, is similar to, kind of the theory that I believe in, to be honest. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a part of the theory that you, you want to move to, towards uh, my uh, conspiracy theory beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. You want to call it? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. All right. So, okay. So, to be quite blunt about it, what I believe happened is this group of hikers were under the influence of some type of hallucinogenic drug, uh, substance, whatever you want to call it, whether it was like, a derivative of a uh, dimethyltryptamine or, um, you know, uh, LSD or even psilocybin or something. Uh, Cause uh, so, so like I've said before to me, nothing about this makes any freaking sense. Right? So here's what I believe. I believe that this party either knowingly or unknowingly had, had ingested some, some sort of hallucinogenic drug or, you know, whether it be maybe even the bread that they had, uh, they had all eaten, you know, uh, under eight hours before they supposedly had all died, by the way, um, which is part of my theory because they all ate the same time and they all died within eight hours of their last meal, which, uh, I don't know. I, it kind of stands out for me as, as a, a important, an important, uh, point of, you know, uh, whatever, an important, or- uh, talking point, you know, but. Yeah, it definitely adds to their kind of erratic behavior because, you know, again, these were experienced hikers and they decided to abruptly leave their tent in the cold yeah. with nothing on. And, well, and, and most of what I'm talking about here is all kind of uh, supported by their erratic behavior because, I mean, all this, every single one of these bodies were found in a, in, in a situation that doesn't make sense. Like I said before, all this behavior that they, 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 you could presume that they exhibited would be erratic. So, I mean, I think that they were under the influence of some, some sort of hallucinogenic substance. I think that it was, you know, like many things in life, there's not only one cause to a certain situation, right? So I, I think that it's quite possible that they were under the influence of something like, like what I said, and something paranormal happened to them, whether it was the appearance of, uh, um, you know, a UFO, you know, aliens, they had something to do with, uh, pushing them past the brink, you know what I mean? Causing, um, their absolute hysteria. Maybe that was the reason why that they broke out of the tents. 
You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that they were presented with something during their trip, I guess you could say, that caused them to go into a state of hysteria. And that led to a cascading effect. You know what I mean? It, it led to a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> you know what I mean? A series of very irrational events. You know what I mean? And I think that's why those events, uh, some of the, the, the scenes that we find are so irrational is because I think that they were on some, some sort of hallucinogenic, you know, uh, trip, you know? Along those lines, there's one hallucinogen that is possible to have taken without intending to, which is, they call it ergot poisoning. So remember I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, they stopped off on that village and bought some bread. Ergot yeah, yeah. is a mold that can infect various types of food, such as bread or grains, and it produces a chemical that can cause hallucinations. According to what I could find, they ate the bread that they bought in that village, but that doesn't mean that they didn't take extra along with them and they might've eaten it later on, on the journey. And mm. if they had saved bread that didn't have preservatives, it could yeah. have grown more of this mold. So that's which another, what, it, which is exactly what I was getting at. Yeah. And there's no proof or even there's not even any evidence of this. It's just kind of, interesting to think about, but it is one possibility that could have caused some sort of hallucination. Pretty much the, the, uh, the reason why I come to my conclusion is because I, I'm trying to just describe the erratic behavior, you know what I mean? And that, that's the only like way I could, I, I, I could kind of describe it. What, you know, I don't know. Um, there, there's one just real quick. There's one other theory that I've heard that is kind of, um, it's anecdotal, but it's also kind of interesting just because the era that the time in which this happened, which was at the very beginning of the, you know, the Cold War, I guess you could say, because let's not forget, as, as soon as World War II ended, and maybe even a little bit before, if just barely, the Cold War started, you know what I mean? So um, one uh, theory I've heard was that every single one of these hikers were actually KGB agents, right? And um, they actually came into contact with uh, some CIA agents that were, you know, combing the area trying to collect data on some sort of secret, you know, uh, USSR government installation that was in the area, you know? And, uh, yeah. So the CIA operatives got the jump on them basically, you know, and that, that's why all of them were found dead and, uh, you didn't find any CIA operatives. I don't think there's any evidence to support that, but like I said, I think it's a fun little anecdotal theory, you know? Yeah. I love it. And it, it reminds me of the eighties, man. Cause that's when I grew up was, you know, move, like Spies Like Us and all this cloak oh, and dagger dude. stuff. Dude, Spies Like Us. Yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know what Doctor? I'm talking about. Doctor. <laughs> Doctor. <laughs> and dude. It, it's a really good story. <laughs> Even if there is no evidence, I kind of like it. What do you think, Agent Locke? Oh, that's pretty sweet. I, I wholeheartedly, like, it reminds me of a, a movie plot, you know, CIA, mm. CIA, KGB, who will win. Obviously, the CIA. Well, well yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I guess from our perspective. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, just <laughs> being that you know that they all perished. Oh yeah, in this story, yeah. Yeah. All right, I'll get into. I have two theories that I think are actually somewhat plausible. The first theory is that the so obviously, as Agent ETA mentioned before, the people were not in their right state of mind. Otherwise, they would not have cut their way out of their tent 
rushed mm-hmm. out into the icy wilderness naked. That's not something you do if you're just chilling, reading a book by lantern light. Obviously, they were upset about something. There's something called infrasound, which I mentioned on our previous episode, which is sound that is below the threshold of human hearing. Researchers have determined that sounds at a very low frequency, we're talking about below 20 hertz, can, under certain circumstances, cause feelings of fear and panic and can have other physiological effects. So one theory is that something caused infrasound, which in turn caused the campers to panic and run and escape from their tent. It looks good on the surface, but there's a lot of questions left unanswered. If they were in a state of such heightened panic that they cut their way out of the tent instead of just going out of the entrance, then how would they have time later on to start a fire and climb up a tree and the party split so two people stayed at the fire, four people went further, and three people went back towards the tent, is the infrasound source, it would have had to last for a really long time to cause people to be panicked for that long to keep running for an entire mile. But why did people continue on while some of them, I don't know. There's a lot of unanswered questions with this particular theory, but it does check a couple of the boxes as far as the initial panic goes. The second theory that I want to bring up, I think is the most plausible theory that kind of ties together all of the loose ends, is that it was the Russian or the Soviet military was dropping parachute mines over the area. There are reports or records that in this general area, the Soviet military did test parachute mines. What a parachute mine is, it's basically a bomb on a parachute that detonates midair and it doesn't kill by shrapnel or whatever. It uses the concussion of the blast to stun or otherwise injure troops on the ground. So you might drop this over enemy territory and instead of bombing a small area, it could stun a very large group of troops. So that's why it might be effective as a weapon. Supposedly, they were testing over this area during this time. We don't have specific records that I could find. So by this time, I mean, you know, generally around this year. But it could explain, first first thing, it could explain the orbs that we talked about earlier that were reported by many different independent witnesses And it also could explain the behavior of the people in the tent. If they had never experienced a concussion on this magnitude before, and let's be honest, who has? Not that many people, I'm guessing. If they dropped a mine that exploded in the vicinity of their tent, that would have been very panic-inducing to those people in the tent, and they would have been very fearful and would have tried to escape as quickly as possible. If it was dark in the tent and they couldn't find the entrance right away, somebody who had a pocket knife handy could have just cut their way out and could have said, okay, there's a hole. Let's get out this way. Let's run. 
quick before we get shot by these bombs and, and they head, they headed it, it, towards the woods. Yeah. Go ahead. ETA. It, well, I was, I was just going to say real quick about, the, about, um, concussive force. Uh-huh. If, um, I haven't been next to a whole lot of big explosions, but the ones that I, I was next to, I knew that they were, co- they were coming and, Afterwards, I still was just for at least a split seconds a, a little bit confused, you know? Yeah. It's just, if, if you've ever been next to like a big explosion or a big concussive force, man, it's a, it's something fucking else. I mean, all right. So anything that like, you know, the, your average person would be able to uh, kind of equate to this is some of your like uh, drag racing fans, okay? If you've ever been next to a drag race uh, for a top fuel dragster or even like a funny car... Holy moly. I mean, the, the type of concussive force that those engines put out. Okay. I mean, cause those are also, you know, controlled explosions, you know what I mean? That you're dealing with inside that engine. Um, so, I mean, some of those, uh, concussive forces from those, those, uh, those dragsters alone, man, holy crap. They, I mean, for your average person, especially if you're not expecting anything like that, it might put you on your ass, you know? I mean, it's, it's, it's something really to be, uh, to be rivaled as, as far as experiences go, you know, it is an interesting theory though, because, uh, earlier I mentioned that, uh, the lead investigator had to, you know, stop on the topic of the fire orbs. Perhaps the, uh, government had told him cause this was at the height of the, the cold war. So maybe there was some type of, uh, yes. military testing. I, I was, I was sure. waiting for somebody else to say it because, yeah. During the Cold War, starting in, you know, like, let's say after World War II, like the mid-1940s, up until the 1990s, it's always the height of the Cold War whenever you're talking about the Cold War. Uh, please, <laughs> mm-hmm. But that aside, please continue, Agent uh, Agent Locke. Well, yeah, basically that would make sense as to why they don't want him to investigate that further because they may be doing some type of military testing that they don't need the general public to be knowing because they're, they're keeping that all under, you know, as classified. So that is interesting. But I mean, then again, the whole radiation exposure is still bizarre. And then why would they, like, if they were testing, did they not know of these people being there? Or, I mean, would they, it, to me, it would make sense to dispose of their bodies completely, but they just left them as is. Maybe they didn't know they were there to begin with. And then after these investigations took place, they, they, you know, they realized, oh, okay, we need to kind of cut this part of the investigation out immediately. Right. And that's mm-hmm. the that's the biggest objection to this theory is that the military would have just completely covered it up if it had been them. Why would they let the investigation hit the public airwaves at all if they wanted to cover it up, right? They would have just completely covered it up. Well, but, it could have been part of some some sort of a, a social experiment, perhaps. Or just it to, could if, just it could just be reactions. that the family's gonna make a stink no matter what you're gonna do. So you can't really cover that part of it up. So maybe they covered up the other parts of it. Mm-hmm. Who yeah. really knows? Well, they let it look like it was a natural event, you know, that took their lives. Whereas <laughs> the truth is much more sinister, but you can't have that type of, I mean, if they, assuming that is true and they had it that, you know, they can't disclose that. They can't let that uh, reach the public because it would create. Of course not. And why yeah. would they? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I but I, I I like this theory because on the surface it it doesn't necessarily answer all the questions. But if they drop these mines over this area, it could explain the initial panic, 
And it could also explain, they reach the forest edge or the, the woods, they build the fire, right? And let's say that the four people who went further on, they're still panicked. They have not yet mentally recovered and they continue on. Everybody else is still there. Two of them stay behind and say, we'll build a fire and stay here. You guys try to go back to the tent and go and get supplies mm-hmm. and help us find our way back. And they have, they died on the way back. But the plan mm-hmm. was for them to go get supplies and come back and rescue everybody else. And the two people that stayed behind did so because the other people, the four people that went further panicked and they wanted to save those people as well. Yeah. And if there was these mines being dropped, it would have been a short event. So it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have kept going on for an hour. Let's say just one plane flew overhead and dropped a series of these bombs that might've only lasted five or 10 minutes, which would have been plenty of time for them to get to the edge of the woods, start a fire and separate and go their different, their separate ways. Yeah. It could explain a lot of the events. It doesn't explain everything, but it explains more than most of the other theories. And that's why I like Mm -hmm. this one better than all the other ones, but Mm -hmm. it still doesn't explain everything, which is kind of fun because we have a real mystery on our hands here. Dude, like I said, Hey, they were all tripping their freaking balls off. And then they experienced some, some sort of like a paranormal event or some sort of a very significant event, whether it had been like, you know, an aerial bomb or what have you. It freaked them the holy hell out, and then they reacted in a you know a very unreasonable ways, you know. Yeah. And that could also explain why they had you know because all right, so the distance from the 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 tents to that fire wasn't a short distance, but it wasn't also a great distance. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so like you know the reason why it may have took them so damn long to get from you know that point A to that point B would possibly be because they were under the influence just in general. You know what I mean? Whether it had been, you know, um, some sort of, a, you know, psilocybin or LSD trip that they were on, whatever they had ingested, you know. I mean, that that could explain, explain some of the unreasonable time frames. You know what I mean? Maybe they stopped yeah. along the way, had some sort of a, some sort of a spiritual event. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but literally, that the reason why they were having that spiritual event while they were tripping is because they were dying of hypothermia. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can cause a lot of delirium suffering from those. Yeah. For sure. I mean, who knows who knows what the hell it's going to cause, you know, if you are under the influence of the, these type of uh, substances like I was talking about. But I'm just, you know, I'm just saying is all, you know, just I'm just interjecting here just real quick because I feel kind of strongly about this, you know. No, I, mean? I like it. I like a conviction. Oh, you're damn right you do. I mean, <laughs> I I I'm happy that you do. I, well, I think Agent ETA might just be a degenerate du- drug addict, and that's why he likes this theory so much. But hey, that's nah, just my dude. theory, you know. Hey, man, you know, there's there's different there's different levels of consciousness that we have not experienced. I'm saying, you know, <laughs> and the, they were the, and be- they were the beginning of hey, people. Yes, they were, and and the beginning of every uh, uh, religion that I know of started out in shamanic tradition. Every single every single shamanic tradition that I know of happened to have used you know, substances like DMT, whatever, however they derived, or I'm, I'm sorry, however they uh, obtained that DMT, that they used it for their shamanic tradition to get in touch with their gods, right? I mean, a lot of the European ones use psilocybin and other different types of mushrooms, you know? Um, 
I mean, shit, even, you know, I mean, one of the more legendary concoctions is uh, ayahuasca down in Southern Southern America, America, you know? So, I mean, and, and that's, that's, that's primarily, I mean, that's a DMT brew right there, you know? I mean, what I'm saying is that there's too many similarities there for me to, you know, just just glance over, you know? Yeah, and not having a proper shaman administer the ceremony of, you know, ingesting these psychedelic substances could result in psychotic, you know, psychotic episodes. Exactly. And exactly. Then... Excited, excited delirium, as we know nowadays. Mm-hmm. I think we've yeah. covered, is there, are there any other theories that we haven't touched on? I think we've. Oh, there's a, there's much... a. There's a, there's a shitload that we have not touched on, but I don't think we have the time to. You know what I mean? I mean, there, 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 there's a ton of, of theories. I think we've gone over all of the major theories for this one. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it then. Thanks for listening. What do you think about this week's topic? Do you have a strange experience of your own? Let us know on Twitter at AlienConPod or AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. You can also send us your questions and comments, or let us know what topics you would like to hear in the future. And don't forget to tune in next time for the, uh, uh, what, Flight 370? What Malaysian, is that, Agent Lock? Malaysian Flight... Malaysia yes. Airlines flight, uh, yeah, Malaysian Airlines flight MH370. Yes, for that topic. Don't forget to tune in next time for that topic.